I sound all right? It's the first time I've used this new all-expenses-paid studio here. Does it sound okay? Very good. Glad to see that WOR is moving forward. Uh, we, we have reduced our home level by 17% coming out of the studio, but increased our background noise level by 23%. And when one fades out and uh, cancels out the other, perhaps... Uh, You'll hear me all right. You know, speaking of background level, uh, I was looking back through my my uh, voluminous files, and uh, I, I went back to one year ago today. Uh, one year ago today, a couple of days after summer had started, to see what I talked about one year ago. You know, you never hear me do this. <laughs> I just don't do it. And uh, I went back to see what, what it was like. And, and while I was discussing at that night, uh, one year ago tonight, I was discussing the summer madness that was beginning to be evidenced in New York and in the United States in particular exactly one year ago tonight. And I made a prediction at the end of the show, according to my voluminous notes, that uh, each succeeding summer madness season would bring on even more and and more uh, involved and incomprehensible madnesses. In other words, it would it would get much worse before it would get better. And uh, I, I, I ran across a quotation here a couple of days ago by a, uh, I believe he was an English writer, and he was, uh, I forget who it was, and that's, that's very embarrassing to quote somebody and not remember who it was, Walt. But uh, maybe you know this, Walt. Listen to this quote. See if you recognize this writer. He was talking about evil in the human mind and, and the, the, in the eye of the creature. He kept saying that there is something in the eye of all fellow human beings that prevents you from trusting them totally. So there is something in the eye. He says, now what that thing is, is a suggestion of unimaginable wrongs. Of, of ills that go beyond that. Oh, you got a, you got a bulletin, Ed? All right, Ed, Ed Pettit right now with a bulletin. Jim, from the I'm going to interrupt with this bulletin from the WOR newsroom. Just in, two men were reported killed tonight when one of four barges carrying fireworks for the annual Macy's Department Store display in the Hudson River blew up. The Coast Guard says the bodies of the two men have been recovered. The search is underway to determine if there were any others lost in the explosion which took place off West 96th Street as thousands of persons watched shortly before 10 tonight. Coast Guard craft and a city fireboat rushed directly to the scene. That's the word from the WR newsroom. As we get more details, we'll interrupt. All right, Ed. Gee, that's a... See what I mean? This is the way summer... Uh, summer is uh, starting out great. Uh, that was Ed Pettit, and Ed will be back with more information on that... Uh, that incident uh, as soon as we get more information in the newsroom. But you know, uh, one year ago, uh, I talked about the kind of summer violence and the summer madness that was setting in one year ago. Now, I suppose you've seen the headlines in all the papers of the girl that was killed. Uh, was it today or last night? Today, right in, this morning in a parking lot right off 42nd Street, just standing there. Uh, this is part of there's something in the, the eye, uh, there's something in summer, there's something in the world that we live in 
that is causing this to come about, this kind of growing insanity, this growing madness, growing, really growing. I'm not talking about people, uh, I'm not talking about motivated nuttiness or motivated anger. This is another story. I'm talking about the senseless kind of thing, which uh, is beginning to show more and more of a, of a mushroom like a fungi like growth it's when he is spread now this writer I don't recall his name he went on to say that in the eye of every man that you see you look you look in the eye there are unimagined areas of horrors not yet explored <laughs> which means that, that that if you think you know what what uh, what bad stuff is up to this point in your life. If you think you know what cruelty is, or if you think you know what madness is up to this point in your life, there are areas unexplored as yet. Now, now this, uh, this particular uh, little quotation was a quotation that was used as, the, uh, as a preface or an introductory to a book, to a novel. Now, uh, this was a 19th century writer, by the way, so uh, that is the man who, who said, made this statement. So he made the statement before the 20th century horrors, including Hitler and the SS and a lot of other interesting things that have come about since he died, were, were in operation. So I, I'm wondering now, I wonder just what in the next, let's say, 200 years there is before us uh, in the way of unimagined horrors, the new areas of exploration. Now, what I, what I may be saying here uh, probably sounds very... I'm not, I'm not attempting to sound pessimistic. This is just a, uh, just a, th a thing which uh, uh, you, become, you begin to be very conscious of if you work in, say, a radio station or a television station. As you know, Walt, hour after hour, the tickers are running in the newsroom. And you never know, almost from moment to moment, from instant to instant, what the next thing will be that comes in. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why most newsmen have that, uh, and when I say newsmen, that includes anyone in the world of communications who is in touch with the world out there, uh, who is not in the world of the newspaper buyer, but in a sense is in the world of the newspaper creator. Uh, which is a very different thing, because the man who who is next to the newsroom can't escape it. The man who walks around, spends his time drinking beer and watching the Mets can escape it merely because he can bury himself in his job at the Acme barbed wire plant. He can he can think about his bowling score. He can go home and and uh, and drink beer and watch reruns of the Lucy Show, and that's it. He doesn't have, and anything else that happens outside can be called an intrusion. But if you work in the world of communication, where it's all happening, and your whole world is based on commenting on these things, being involved in them, seeing them, feeling them, you begin to have a, a genuine sense of what next? What next? Which way? And, and one year ago tonight, we were talking about the summer madness, which is beginning to settle in. Now, uh, I also, at that time, uh, about three or four days later, I was looking back in my notes, I was predicting that eventually, very shortly, uh, to, uh, for example, uh, speaking of the, of the new upcoming uh, madnesses, that total nudity would be very accepted on, on beaches very shortly. Now, when I said very shortly, I meant historically, which would be like five years. 
Uh, already <laughs> you've been hearing what's been going on. It's happening quicker than I would have thought, you know. Uh, Aldous Huxley talked about this uh, some time ago. Uh, there have been several other people who have made this point. But when, when things begin to happen quicker than you, than even you yourself can, can uh, when, you're, when you're making these comments and, and making these projections of things in the future, you can't quite possibly believe that it's actually happening. Now, now uh, speaking of, uh, of that kind of madness... Uh, kind of a kind of a kind of a peculiar upside down inverted uh, series of attitudes are beginning to develop. For example, in the same copy of a, of, a, of a New York newspaper, on one page is a is an advertisement for canine dental cream. Uh, <laughs> this is an advertisement for for dog toothpaste, and it says uh, what it does is checks bad breath and makes your dog socially acceptable and gives them a very pleasant grin. Now, now, uh, yes, that's the truth. Now, canine dog, and and then on the same on the same issue of the newspaper, about five five or six pages back, there's a picture of a chick, and she's smiling. She's got a giant set of white TV type teeth, and it says that if you're tired of using toothpaste and have been not very successful with it, you can buy a new paint to paint your teeth white. <laughs> So just paint your teeth white. It says if you got rotten holes and all, I just paint them white and you'll be all right. Which uh, kind of, you know, kind of says so much about our civilization. If it doesn't work, pretend it does anyway, you know. Uh, pretend it does. Now, uh, one of the best examples we've got now of this great split between the way we are and what we think we are is right out here on Long Island, right on Flushing Meadows, this gigantic World's Fair that's swinging out there. This is a, this is a great example of it, just a fantastic example. How many times have I... I went, for example, into, into the giant Bell Telephone building. Now, uh, here's an example again of that split between the package and the contents. Uh, the package was fantastic. Big signs that said, you know, the future was going to be incredible. The future of telephone conversations, apparently, is an unlimited future. Of course, they don't say that the same old junk is going to be said on the phones. The same old old inanities are going to be mouthed. Uh, I saw one scene where, where an entire family had crowded into one of these family phone booths, Walt. They got in touch with their uncle out in Iowa, and not one of them knew anything to say. They're all standing around, hey, hey, you know, they're hollering. And, and, of course, it cost them $19 a minute. But the facts that the, that the technique that we're living in increases just beautifully. But the same old jazz is going over it. The same old junk. But the split was, was much more evident in this. Here was this fantastic display of how efficient the phone company is. And I picked up one of the phones. It says, pick up the phone. They had blue little whoopee phones all over. And by the way, the phone itself has become a love object now. Uh, And it says, pick up one of the phones and listen to the explanation of how this new system of communication would work. And the phones were out of order in the telephone company's exhibit, you know. (laughs) And just, yeah, their own pitch wasn't working. And just like everything else connected with the giant monoliths, there was no one to complain to. 
I mean, you know, you just sort of stand around a couple of girls there with blue coats, and you said to them, well, look, I can't hear what's going on. The girls said, well, what do you mean? What am I supposed to do? I only give the speech here. Ladies and gentlemen, you are looking at the laser system. The laser system utilizes scientific principles, and, and you know, they come out with a speech that they've learned and learned over and over again, and, and you can just see somebody's even coached them on suitable gestures. And, and uh, all the while, a bunch of us are standing down there with dumb looks on our faces trying to get the phones to work to hear the thing working. <laughs> Speaking of dumb looks, this is W-O-R-A-M at FM, New York. Uh, you got a little whoopee thing in there in the cartridge, Walter, huh? Prove your masculinity, man. Welcome aboard, sir. <laughs> Who is the ale man? Your stateroom is ready, sir. He could be you, a man with a thirst for a manly approved. The captain would like you to dine with him. Three out of four men Time to the Boulder Keener Tasting Ale. Can I get you anything, sir? Valentine! You thirst for adventure, for something new. You try a Valentine Ale. This one's different. Bolder, keener, more to the point. Suddenly, you're a confirmed Valentine Ale Man. Welcome aboard, Ale Man. Who is the Ale Man? He could be you, a man with a thirst for a man. Well, there's a lot, a lot of things that that uh, I think are inadvertently being displayed at the World's Fair, and I, for one. Uh, want to uh, see as much of it as I can because it tells me more about my world than anything else that I know of that's going currently on the scene. Of course, it's all inadvertent. Here, here for example, is a great little note. It says, The Carousel Theater of the General Electric World's Fair exhibit called Progress Land broke down yesterday. The uh, multi-part show produced by Walt Disney, of course. He's producing the world. You know, they're, they're calling him in pretty soon to redo the U.N., uh, Uthant looks a little bit too much like a person. You know, they're going to have one of those little laughing people up there. And have you ever had the feeling one day that, that Walt Disney is going to have a representative there in the General Assembly to, <laughs> to represent, uh, what is it, fantasy land or whatever it is, the nutty, the nutty part of the, of, of the mind where we all reside? Uh, right there between uh, The Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, and uh, James Bond, that, 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 that uh, you know, that cuckoo, cuckoo, Neverland. Uh, that Walt Disney is in charge of the lighting of. Uh, let's see here. It goes on. It says the seated viewers are carried past stages on which life-size, three-dimensional animated figures move, talk, laugh, and act out the story of electricity in the home from the gay 90s to the present. Well, it broke down. Blew out a fuse somewhere. Which told more about the story of electricity <laughs> than anything they could have had in their exhibit. I'm sorry. You know, uh, speaking of that, uh, the inadvertent display of uh, of what's happening in our world, there's one exhibit out there which we will not even mention, in which everything is animated. All the people who talk to you are animated people, you see. Now, the thing about them is it is impossible to tell whether they're male or female, which is really what's happening to our world. Even the voices all sound like they're vaguely in the mid-twenties. You can, it, 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 male or female, it could be interchangeable, totally interchangeable. And so these people are saying, hey, now as you walk past the snowbanker, they talk like that, you know, that little sweet uh, kind of singing lady voice 
that's telling you about the horrors of the future, you know, that everybody will be transported around on automatic uh, sidewalks and be shot from cannons and, and everyone will have numbers that will go all the way back to the prenatal state. And as you notice, today the inefficient system in which you are built will be taken care of in the future and these little whoopee voices walk around. Now, in that building, now I'm not even getting to the heart of it, Walt, in that building they won't even concede even in the restrooms that there is such a thing as two sexes. You remember what I used to say, men, women? It now says A, B. <laughs> a, B, and apparently you can take your choice. I don't know, I just got two of them. It's just A and B, literally. I'm telling you the truth. Uh, that, that, uh, that this is an inadvertent admission of something far above and beyond what they set out to admit in their exhibit. A and B. Now, what drove them to that? Uh, apparently, eventually, it'll just be X and Y, I suspect. <laughs> then eventually it'll be just X prime, and that's the end of it. Maybe there is an X and Y and an X prime and a Y prime. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it is A and B in this exhibit. Now, now uh, on, on the other hand, here is another little inadvertent display of, of how our world is getting. Did you see the piece in the New York Times today by Robert Alden? Uh, a fine writer, by the way, uh, no relation to the Alden here at WOR. Well, in a sense, philosophically, they're both soreheads. But uh, uh, Alden has a, has a little, he writes with this deadpan seriousness, you see, but that really is more serious than the serious writers. And Alden has a piece that says, High costs, anger pavilions at fair, protest planned. Well, way down, it tells all about a cost of about $150 to fix a stopped-up sink. You know, this is out in progress land. It's very good. <laughs> they got stopped-up sinks and all kinds of stuff in progress land. Speaking of that, uh, before I go into that, I, uh, to give you a kind of a, a preface, a kid uh, wrote me a letter. You know, it's, it's funny. I noticed that the kids quite often go into a thing like this, have a deeper insight into... Uh, the meanings of things, uh, let's say the double and triple meanings of things they see, than the grown-up types who often will judge a thing by old attitudes. Uh, it is, it is, a, it is a, a, a fair really is something that older people dig, because fairs used to be a big thing in the early 20th century. So every older person will go out there, will swear to, on, 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 on a stack of Bibles that he had a great time. Because he always had a great time at fairs, and he's just going to have a great time. Well, listen to this. Listen to this little description of a kid. Now he says, "In view of your remarks about the total unreality of the fair, I thought it would be good to pass on the following piece of information, or perhaps uh, my particular attitude." The Summit Junior High School Band was asked to play at the U United States Pavilion on May 31st. The experience affected me more than any other member because unlike the rest of the band who arrived just before the performance, I came early in the morning. I was ready. By the afternoon when we were scheduled to play, I was thoroughly brainwashed and floating at least two feet above the ground. I came to the U.S. Pavilion, easily the most awesome, if least artistic, building at the fair, and met my fellow players. We walked up the long flight of marble steps and came to a veneered door stating, Employees Only. Here we were supposed to take out our instruments. We came into a gigantic storage hangar, which apparently occupied the three-quarters of this building, which is an empty shell at best. <laughs> it was ankle-deep in dust, smelled of manure, and contained a fire extinguisher leaking all over the floor. 
Most exciting of all, over against the wall was a huge pile of bronze segments of an enormous modern art assembly not yet put together. I feel the fair would have been much enlivened if this portion of the building had been put on display and the rest hidden. It would have given a much clearer picture of our country. The fire extinguisher that leaked, the modern art piece that wasn't put together yet, the dust. <laughs> this is a kid, a junior from Summit. It's uh, a pretty sharp remark. Very sharp remark. Now, uh, to give you a kind of preface, I don't want to be a sorehead because I, I enjoy uh, the fair enormously. But I suppose uh, because I enjoy life itself. I think, I think anything that you involve yourself in in life is, I, I've, I've always enjoyed, even trouble has its own particular strange, sneaky excitement. And uh, going to the fair, uh, it's like walking around Times Square. Times Square is a horror and a delight. But it's certainly never boring. You can never say you're bored by Times Square. If you, if you do say this, your eyes are closed and your glands have stopped. Uh, I, I can say you can never be bored by the fair if you keep looking for the things that are there. Now, now listen to what, what Alden says here. It's a very, very fascinating piece that Alden... He goes on and he talks about all these various exhibits. They're complaining. Uh, do you have a little uh, cheap guitar Spanish music there for me, Walt? Uh, just, just bring it a little. That's it. That's lovely. Just a little more there. <laughs> yes. Miguel Garcia de Saez, Commissioner General of Spain at the fair, said, and we quote, I have had nothing but aggravation and more aggravation. I have lost 14 pounds since the opening and we're just at the point of giving up we have tried to do our very best for the fair, a beautiful pavilion, the best dancers, our best music, our best art. But the fair, oh, the fair, it gives us no support at all. They tell us to sign, 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 and each time we sign, it costs us a fortune. The situation at the Spanish pavilion took a dramatic turn over the weekend. Spain had hired its own union workers to clean its pavilion each night rather than use Allied maintenance. As a result, the Teamsters Union, affiliated with Allied, refused to pick up the garbage placed in large bins behind the Spanish pavilion. There are three restaurants in the Spanish pavilion. And so, by Saturday, after four days of no collection, the garbage was overflowing. Paella! Paella! Ole! Many clamshells! On Saturday morning, officials at the pavilion said that unless the Teamsters picked up the garbage, its own employees would dump it in the Unisphere pond. The Teamsters said that if that were done, they would retaliate by taking the garbage out of the Unisphere pond and tossing it about the Spanish pavilion. And over the Spanish pavilion hangs a large sign put up by Mr. Moses that says, Guess what through you know what?
so that it doesn't tell more about our world than any one of the giant murals. You know, why anybody pays any attention to murals or, or, uh, or, my, or, or statues or films? Just look around at the real stuff. I'll tell you, you know what? One of the most real things that they had at the fair, in a, in a spooky way, a telltale kind of thing, that after, after you walk around a little bit, you begin to see little machines all over. And they look like weighing machines, Walt. And it, uh, it has a little slot, and it's at 10 cents in the slot there. And you get closer, and you look at the machine, and it's a jiggle machine rejuvenator. You put, <laughs> you put a dime in it, and you stand on top of it, and it just quietly rejuvenates you. It jiggles you for about five minutes. Just keeps it's a, anyone, Walt. I don't ask me questions. Just bring it up. It just it just keeps jiggling you for about five minutes. And then you walk on. Yeah, ironically enough, they're placed next to those Ace hot dog stands. <laughs> Just take it down there. <laughs> oh, my. It's, it's a wild scene, I'll tell you. Uh, uh, and that, Did you hear some more of the comments by some of these other guys that were out there? Listen to this one. Uh, listen, uh, here's, here's a kind of a nice one. Uh, in, in Bangkok, Thailand... Depolivaya Manap, director of Thai Pavilion, said, The whole problem is that too much emphasis is being placed at the fair in profit-making instead of international understanding. This is confusing a lot of people, I'll tell you. Uh, it's a fascinating article. And uh, apparently, uh, to, to, to get somebody to come and replace a fuse is like a $450 job out there at the fair. <laughs> oh, they're finding out a lot about America out there. In fact, listen to this little bit that, uh, that, that Alden puts in here, in case you didn't read it. Uh, here, here's one. Uh, let's see. A spokesman for one large industrial exhibitor said that the housekeeping costs were at least ten times more than the company had estimated. Foreign governments participating in the fair said that the United States' reputation was being injured around the world as a result of their experiences here. You know, it's a fascinating point. Uh, what's that? I can't read it. Twenty-seven what? Can't read it. Sorry. Oh, well, that's just part of it. I'll, I'll read to you what it says here. He's got all the facts and figures. But uh, the... It's funny that one country's people's attitude towards another country's people's is hardly ever formed or even influenced by what the leaders say or by what the official attitude is toward the other countries. Believe me, if one tourist goes to one country and gets stripped, <laughs> squeezed out, blooded, deveined, and finally filleted, and comes back and talks about it in the neighborhood. That has done more than any aid program. <laughs> it has done more than any comment that could be made by the, the Chamber of Commerce or the Tourist Bureau of that country. Uh, it's, it's an intriguing thing to, to uh, if you do much traveling, and I do, uh, to, to compare what is said about a country by that country, the official spokesman, the official things, you know, you get the, the folders. Says, visit, uh, visit picturesque Lower Slavovia, especially during the picturesque Lower Slavovia festival time, in which time the Lower Slavovians are especially hospitable to American tourists. 
course, that means that they've really got the knives out. That means that every, every last Sharpie has descended and he's ready to do business in that season. Now, now it's an intriguing thing to, to, to compare your own feelings about a country and a people and a place with the officially stated attitude and view of what they are and what they stand for. They're almost always at, at complete odds. It's very hard for me to tell you, say, unless you've ever been there, what it's like, say, just uh, what, what it's like. Let's, let's take a country. What it's like in uh, the French Cameroons. Now, you can go down to the, to the tourist office and get all the folders you want. Yeah, you, can go, you can call up the National Geographic and they'll tell you about the rainfall. But spend three hours in, in a bar in the French, and you'll know more about it than anybody could possibly tell you in a thousand real film about the country. Now, I don't know what all these countries are going to go back thinking about us, but I have a suspicion <laughs> that, that things are not going to go as well as we think. Uh, now, now, here, listen to this one. This is a, a spokesman for one large, he says, at least ten times more than his company had estimated. Foreign governments participating in the fair said the U.S. reputation was being injured. Now, we said, what do you mean injured? We're sending them all that stuff. We're so nice to them. We're sending them everything, tanks, guns, uh, Peace Corps workers. But what, what, what are you going to do when a poor little country sends a little exhibit over and it has its little native art there and it has, it has a couple of little displays on the rug weaving there and they send their, their native paintings over and it costs them $742 a day to have it cleaned and dusted. And, and, and every time one of the natives picks up a dust cloth and tries to dust it, he gets belted on the head by a short guy with a heavy beard. And says, hey, get out of Union Power! And he hits him in the face. Well, it's funny what happens when they go home and talk about this. An example, it says, of the, are the hourly rates charged a pavilion for certain services. Listen to the, uh, listen to the hourly rates. And I'm, of course, what's going to happen, all the unions, everybody involved will say, well, of course, all, here are the reasons why. The reasons don't matter. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference when a guy is driving down the street and the front axle of his car breaks, he drives through the front window of a store and kills 19 people. The reasons don't mean anything, nor do they make it any better. The question is, were 19 people killed? <laughs> That's what will happen. Now listen to some of the uh, some of the uh, prices. Painters, 10.39 an hour. Plumbers, 17.60. Carpenters, 11.51. Unskilled laborers, 8.76. Now you haven't heard the rest of it. The charges are portal to portal, and the charges begin when a telephone request is received. And end when the workman returns to his shop. It may take him two hours to get there. <laughs> and four hours to get home by way of Heine's Bar. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. You get that bill, boy. Nor does the workman arrive alone if you call for a guy to come and get the sink. It's stopped up. Listen to this one. He is driven to the pavilion by a member of the Teamsters Union who frequently receives an hourly wage higher than the workman he takes to the job. Can't say get in a cab and come on. <laughs> that would be bad enough. It says he is also accompanied by an assistant. Oh my! As another example, a carpenter who works after 3 p.m. gets double time. That's after 3 p.m. Gets double time, 23.02 an hour. It costs about 150 dollars to fix a stop sink. 
the operations manager at a major pavilion said, and even at that rate, the job is botched. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> and it goes on and on. Uh, <laughs> It says uh, complaints have been made by big exhibitors. General Motors said that it had made repeated requests for a statement, but they never got a bill. Uh, General Electric said its bill was so high it sent it back to be refigured. <laughs> Calculate this one. Wow. And let me tell you, when General Electric sends back a bill, it's too high. That's a bill. <laughs> oh, my. It goes on to say, uh, <laughs> one guy says, Manuel Ortona. The manager of the Spanish pavilion said, I have had toilets stuffed with table linen and the pipes of our air conditioning broken open. So he's going to go back with some interesting thoughts about America. Uh, uh, here, here's another one. Uh, this, by the way, is all from an article in the New York Times by Robert Alden, which I'm sure that uh, I didn't hear anybody talking about this on the news today. Makes interesting news. Uh, here's uh, some more of the things they say. Uh, deliveries to the fair can only be made after midnight. Trucks line up to enter at that hour. Exhibitors say that before they are admitted to the fairgrounds, the trucks are stopped by union officials. If the driver is not approved by the union official, the exhibitors say, he is either replaced or forced to sign a chit so that the Teamsters Union can bill his company for a half hour or an hour's work as the Teamsters choose. According to the exhibitors, the driver has little choice but to sign or be turned away. Here's one that happened to Polynesia. It says, here are some of the little experiences. This is the Polynesian visit, the, uh, pavilion. A station wagon transporting souvenirs was stopped at gate. The Teamsters said that eight Teamsters should be needed to do the work at the pavilion that officials estimate one man could do in 30 minutes. The total cost for eight men would be $320. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, now, I don't know what they're going to think now in, in Polynesia about what's going on in America. It's very hard because, you see, it's hard to explain to the Polynesians why eight guys should do the job of one. It is very difficult. And you can you know, you tell them all about union. We all know, don't we? We're Americans. Somehow we know and accept this kind of insanity. But how, how would... Now, what, what would happen now? Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the most interesting myths, of course, is the lazy South Pacific person. You know, we all believe that the natives of South Pacific are lazy and don't work and so on. Now, I'm sure that they can rationalize everything they do. But it seems incomprehensible to us. If, if we saw eight Polynesians down picking up a coconut shell and carrying the coconut shell back to the chief's tent. Uh, and and we, would, we would ask, well, why is this? Well, you see, it takes eight of them to carry the coconut shell. There has to be the chief coconut shell carrier. He has two chief assistants, you know. They, in turn, each have two junior assistants. And then, of course, we have to assign two junior assistant apprentices to that job. Because, after all, it is a... <laughs> We would think, well, this is what kind of a nutty is it? Somehow, if the Polynesians did it, we would put it down as one of those incomprehensible things that the Polynesians do. But uh, with us, we, we know why. We know that if uh, we accept this. Listen to this one, Morocco. Uh, Morocco, this one says, uh, the Polynesians uh, go on to say, uh, the judge advised them to pay it. See, they took it to the judge. Advised them to pay. The pavilion refused, and the Teamsters reduced their demand instantly to two men at a cost of $80. How are they going to explain that to the folks back home in Polynesia? The, the Americans are out to rob you, a pavilion official said. 
Now, you know, one of the great myths that America's always had is that when an American tourist goes to other countries, the people there are out to rob them. Isn't this one of the American myths that everyone else... I don't know what this is going to do to <laughs> a lot of those myths. Morocco. It says it has paid more than $1,000 for a series of repairs on air conditioning system. They send one or two men who work for a half hour. When we see bill, they charge for 10 hours. The official said the air conditioning system invariably breaks down almost a short time after men leave. <laughs> Oh, uh, and we accept that. I, most Americans accept the fact that when they go to the garage to get their car fixed, half of it isn't done. We just accept it. We do. We accept this. How many times have you taken your car in and you say, the rattle in the back, uh, the rattle, you paid $3,500 for this heap. See, the rattle in the back, it's got, it's got 428 miles. You say, there's a rattle in the back. And uh, you leave it there four days you take it out, you drive 20 feet, and it's rattling. And you turn around, and you say, well, what about the rattle? The guy says, well, I thought you told us to grease it. What do you mean? Well, we, we greased it? What more do you want to do? We greased it? We checked the shackle bolts? He says, but it's rattling. It's rattling. He says, oh, well, look, rattle. those things happen. You get fire. You fire. <laughs> we accept it. We do. We accept this kind of nuttiness. Uh, how many people accept the fact that when they, re they get their TV set repaired, that at least, oh, about Five times out of ten, at least, within six or seven weeks, the same trouble is back again. It's flopping over. <laughs> or every time somebody turns a light on, it it it, uh, it, it it does that thing, you know. It goes on. And we accept it. We just, but the other countries are not yet ready for the 20th century people. They're not ready for progress. <laughs> progress land is not yet with Polynesia or Morocco. I can assure you of that. Uh, that, that it's, it's very confusing to them. And uh, one, one thing, uh, here's, here's one. Uh, nationalist China. The pavilion constructed for seven cleaners, contracted for seven cleaners, pavilion of nationalist China, Shun Kai-shek, but found getting only five, three, and sometimes only two at night, in spite of being billed for seven. We find some of them sleeping here, a pavilion official said. One provisional said, uh, said, I ring up on the union matter. They tell me to speak to Allied. I ring up Allied. They tell me to speak to union. Which way do I go? <laughs> we accept that. How many times have you been have you been bollocked up on something that you've done, and you call them up and they say, what do, you, what do you expect us to do about it? And you say, well, wait a minute. You fixed it. He says, well, what do you mean we fixed We don't have anything to do with that. We contract outside labor. And you say, well, 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 wait a minute, I'm paying you for it. I say, well, I don't come to us. <laughs> we have nothing. How many times has this happened to you? <laughs> and yet, we accept it. We just say, oh, I see. Yeah, it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. Uh, they, they, this, is the, this is part of that, that summer nuttiness uh, to carry it back to the original theme. Now, now I don't think uh, one year ago it would have been as easy to predict this, uh, as it seems to accept it now, uh, that the things seem to have a way of surpassing any kind of prediction you can make. And this is why I've, I've said many times, many, I, I'm going to have to repeat it, that I don't care what kind of science fiction writer you are or which one you believe in, 
the reality of the future is going to be far more bizarre and incomprehensible and difficult to understand than any man's projection of it. Uh, of course, the thing that I've noticed about much of what we live in at any given time is that large numbers of people never question. This is the most intriguing thing. Large numbers of people never question. And look upon those who question Walt as kooks. Large numbers of people will, will line up for something, uh, for example, and, and, and it'll cost them $2 to get in and get inside and they've been flim-flammed. And the man who is talking about it will be looked upon as a kook, a sore head, and a cynic. You question mark. I think most people have an infinite capacity for self, I suppose you might say hypnosis. That many a man will hypnotize himself into thousands of different attitudes because it makes it easier to live with what he's with. Uh, a guy buys a car, uh, he gets four miles to the gallon. You think he admits it? Oh, at the office? Rarely. To anybody around him? Rarely. No. To himself? No. What he does then, he says, well, I don't keep check. I don't keep track of mileage. I, 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 it gets very good mileage. I just don't check it. He's, he's hypnotizing himself into a state of believing something which he knows secretly is not happening. Uh, and, and everywhere you go, you, you'll find this, you'll find this, 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 this interesting attitude of self, self-hypnosis is taking over in the, uh, in the absence, I suppose, of any kind of, uh, well, I, I suppose you can say any kind of conviction. Uh, I heard a commentator on this station, by the way, the other night. Uh, I wondered, I wondered, I wondered whether, whether he was hypnotized because the way he was talking, he was talking about states' rights. Uh, he was talking about, he was talking about uh, the, 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 the current problems uh, of, of states. Uh, he, he claimed that, that rights were being taken away from states. And I was wondering, well, where has he been living? Hasn't he been reading the front pages? How many states in the United States have abdicated their responsibility to the citizens within their boundaries and should have a few rights taken away merely because they've abdicated? But, but, you know, what kind of self-hypnosis is this? That the only time a man has rights, really, is when he has earned these rights. I don't think rights are just given. Here, you have the right to do this. You have the right to do that. You have to prove that you have the right to it. You have to prove responsibility, in short. And yet, uh, I'm curious. I, I suspect that in perhaps five years, the repercussions of this fair, or a lot of the things involved with it, will begun to just begun to be felt. <laughs> just begun. It's going to go on and on and on. The ripples in this stream. Uh, <laughs> but but then I don't know. You know. One of the curious things about it is, is how, how will the fair be a year from now? When the, pains, you know, when the paint starts to wash down into the bay. Uh, what will it be like? And yet, there's no question about it. The fair is one of the most interesting things around today. No question.